Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast, featuring in-depth conversations with executives, leaders, influencers, and journalists in this dynamic, high-stakes industry. Hosted by Craig Pickett, founder of Northstar Group, the boutique executive search firm for the aerospace industry. You'll learn how top aerospace executives are developing their people, competing for talent, overcoming challenges, and adjusting to industry trends to drive growth and profits. And now, let's join your host, Craig Pickett. Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. I'm Craig Pickett. Hey, today I am thrilled to have Neil Book with us. Neil is the CEO of Jet Support Services, Inc., based up in Chicago, better known as JSSI. Uh, JSSI is a uh, leading aftermarket services provider for the business jet industry. Um, they support about 2,000 aircraft throughout the uh, throughout the world with a wide range of products, including power by hour, maintenance support, parts support, advisory services, valuations analysis, and a long list of uh, of other products for both uh, aircraft owners and the financial services industries. Hey, Neil, can you hear me? I can hear you. So all is good in Chicago, and business is, is off to a good start. Yeah, it's been a great start to the year. Really excited about where we are heading into the last two weeks of the first quarter. Um, that's good. What? So, you know, Neil, you got to. Uh, I mean, you came. You guys bought JSSI now. What? Not quite ten years ago, right? Actually, it's hard to believe, but it is just about, it's been about 10 years. We acquired the company in early 2008, right at the peak of the market, just before the downturn. Uh, so yeah, we've been at it for 10 years. What attracted you guys to the aviation business in the first place? I mean, I knew Ron Hildebrandt when, and, and Rick Haskins when they owned it. What, what, uh, what attracted you guys to to business aviation coming from you know the other the other things that you all you know, your 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 equity fund was into yeah, so it's interesting. You know, we didn't look at it as an aviation uh, play or acquisition. We really looked at it as uh, we really looked at it as a as a as a financial services play. And so, we, when we looked at JSSI, we saw a company that had really remarkable uh, talent within the organization. Great. Uh, uh, business aviation and aviation expertise, particularly around maintenance. And we thought we brought a level of financial sophistication, cash management, and, you know, other uh, tools that would be really complementary to the strengths of the, the company at the time. And so that was really, uh, you know, we loved the business model. Uh, we thought that uh, the company had a lot of upside. We thought it was a great business, which was underperforming, and that we could uh, make the difference and help turn it around and turn it into something really special. When you when you bought it, where did you say it was underperforming a little bit? Where, where did you see? Yeah, you know, where did you? What was glaring to you? What did you see that was underperforming and that you guys could fix fast? And then, sure. you know, what? Uh, you know, what needed some more long term structure? Sure. Well, look, I, I give the founders of JSSI just a ton of credit for being entrepreneurial enough to say, we're going to go, to, we're going to go into business and we're going to compete with the giants, the Honeywells of the world, the GEs of the world, the Rolls Royces of the world. And, you know, these, you know, four guys from Chicago took on, you know, took on the giants and they did a really 
admirable job of building a very solid business. Now, when I looked at the business, you know, my initial thought was there was an opportunity for the fleet to get a lot younger. Uh, if you looked at the average age of uh, an aircraft enrolling on the JSSI program, you know, back then, you know, it was probably somewhere between the age of 15 and 20 years. So it was aircraft, it was aircraft that was well into its life cycle, uh, and it was really aircraft that the manufacturers weren't really focused on any longer from a PBH perspective. So I saw an opportunity that we could really get the fleet a hell of a lot younger, have aircraft on the program a hell of a lot longer. And so, uh, you know, that was one of the areas that we thought we had an opportunity. And, you know, I look at our business last year and roughly a third of our enrollments, you know, were brand new aircraft. And, you know, I bet, you know, about 10 to 15 percent of all deliveries last year came with the JSSI engine program. So uh, we've started to be able to really penetrate that market, get involved much earlier in the life cycle of the aircraft. And as a result, we've brought down the average age of our portfolio from somewhere around 17 or 18 years to somewhere between 12 and 13 years. And that's a, a place where we'd much rather be. Gotcha. So JSSI, obviously, Jet, Jet Support Services, Inc., a lot of people you know, in the industry consider you guys to be more of a, a maintenance company, PBH, power by hour company, but you, you really describe yourself more as a financial, almost a financial services company, correct? Yeah, you know, I look at it really as a business that marries the two, right? Strong finan- uh, you know, strong financial services company coupled with some of the the greatest talent in the industry uh, around maintenance. And you know, if you look at our business today, we've got roughly 2,000 aircraft on a JSSI program, and that could be any combination of the following: engine, APU, airframe, or avionics. And so, you know, we cover a wide cross-section of aircraft, anything from a single-engine turboprop all the way up to, uh, you know, a BBJ or an ACJ and everything in between, uh, as well as, a helico- as, well as uh, you know, the helicopter market. And so uh, from my perspective, you know, the company has really done an outstanding job, uh, you know, focusing on what we do best, and that's delivering a seamless maintenance experience for our customers, and then coupled that with giving them the financial tools to, uh, you know, to operate their business more efficient, most efficiently. Sure. I mean, yeah, hey, look, you take the, you know, take a little bit of the stress out of owning an airplane. Um, they write you a check. You guys take, you know, kind of worry about the, the vast majority of the maintenance and things they need to take care of. And, and they're pretty happy about that. It's kind of a win-win for everybody, right? Yeah, exactly. And if we're doing a good job leveraging our buying power uh, with the maintenance community, that should uh, be able to translate into a very competitive rate, you know, which hopefully not only uh, uh, removes the risk of uh, aircraft maintenance by giving 100% protection on all unscheduled maintenance events, but I'm hoping, and in most cases, it probably does reduce uh, their overall uh, maintenance costs. So you open the door for this one. You talk about you know, buying, you know, leveraging the maintenance, and uh, you know, the OEM and the third-party maintenance worlds are incredibly competitive, and everybody's starting to dogfight it now. How do nope. you see? Obviously, you guys. I mean, you guys are probably benefiting from that a little bit. But how do you see? You know, how do you know, Standard Aero, Westar Aviation, Western Aircraft, a lot of the third-party guys, and then you see Bombardier, Gulfstream, Desso. They're all trying to shore up. There are MRO businesses. How do you how do you see all that playing out? 
Well, I, you know, I think you said it very well. You know, over the last several years, as new aircraft sales have slowed down a bit, obviously the manufacturers, the OEM community, has focused much more uh, on the aftermarket, right? Uh, maintenance services, MRO, facili- MRO facilities, and we've seen that 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 market really tighten up. We've also seen uh, some consolidation. Uh, what we have really focused on doing is, you know, leveraging our uh, relationships in the industry, directing maintenance work to the facility that is going to provide the best price, the highest quality, and the quickest turn times, okay? And so by doing that, and if that's your sort of your guiding principles, we're going to go to the best, where the best value is, the best service is, and the quickest turn times, you know, ultimately you're going to find a number of partners that you keep going back to who can deliver across the board on all of those items. And so uh, we've had a lot of success in that. We've had a lot of success, you know, driving cost out of our business by, you know, strategically aligning and partnering uh, with, you know, the, the, the best, the best of the MRO community. I got to assume that you guys are helping some of the MROs get better too. You send frequency of work, you know, you, you send more and more work to them. They start to figure it out, get a little bit more efficient with each, each aircraft that comes through. Has, I take it that partnership has really, has really worked both ways. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, one is we, our technical advisors are working very closely, uh, with the, the, the people on the floor in the maintenance facilities and there's a constant line of communication back and forth. And, you know, we're working to make each other better and drive efficiencies and improve turn times. And, uh, you know, by, by keeping those, those lines of communication open, we've seen a lot of improvement, a lot of, a lot of data sharing. And the ultimate beneficiary of that is the operator. Are you guys keeping that? You know that reliability, maintainability data, and you, you, you know, are you able to to monetize that at all and sell it back to some of the either the the providers or the OEMs coming to you? I mean, I I, I just look at your business. I'm thinking, hey, look, there's probably a lot of different a lot of different avenues that you can can go down for you know revenue sources, and and obviously you're an ex tech guy, so you kind of see things from a, probably a couple of different avenues. Yeah, you know, it's a great, it's a great question. And, uh, the answer to the question is, is we're not actively selling, uh, that segment of our data back to the manufacturer, back to the MRO community. We're really sharing, uh, we're really sharing data to ultimately benefit uh, uh, our operators and the JSSI uh, customer base. But you, you touch on something that I think is really important, uh, and that's, collection of, of data. And we've worked incredibly hard over the last 10 years to capture every line of data that we possibly can at the most detailed of levels, because to, to us, that's the sort of the secret sauce of this business, right? Being able to understand, you know, really understand at a very detailed level uh, the intricacies of this business and to be able to more accurately forecast when maintenance is going to occur, uh, when it's going to occur, and when it does occur, what it's going to cost. And that allows us to obviously provide the best, most accurate uh, uh, pricing in terms of an hourly rate to our customer base. Now, one of the areas where we are leveraging this data uh, to to sell to the market or to monetize is through a, a suite of other services uh, that we have recently introduced. And just a couple of examples of that is we have a we have a division now called our advisory services division, and uh, we're actively managing maintenance events for third parties. You know who basically hire us to come in and handle their maintenance, even though they may not be on one of our programs. 
Uh, we're working very closely with the banking and lending community to provide aircraft appraisals as well as asset inspections. Uh, so uh, we're also working with the insurance community, uh, hull and, you know, uh, hull underwriters, hull liability underwriters to provide, you know, claims event management to help them work through, uh, when there's an engine claim, for example, looking at what's FOD versus what's normal wear and tear. And so we're really leveraging a lot of our data, a lot of leveraging the, the skills our, our team has, uh, to deliver value to the marketplace in uh, new ways, which we've never done before. Yeah, no, and the industry was really ripe for a lot of that. You know, a lot of that too. It was a lot of fractured. There were a lot of people out there doing it, but it was pretty fractured. And, you know, all of a sudden now you guys have become, over the last 20 years, I mean, you guys have really become a major player in that that space. I got to think between, you know, JSSI, there's only a few people that can really do what you guys do to that level. And it's really, you know, NetJets and Flight Options, the two biggest operators in y'all who have big fleets and that's, or take care of big fleets. That's a great, you know, you, you, that, that's a very good point. You know, when I look at that market, the you know, call it the appraisal market, asset inspections, some of these other services being delivered to the financial community, you're right. It, it was, to me, it was surprisingly fragmented, very regional, you know, very uh, regionally based. So you have small providers in each region around the world. And so you had banks partnering with, you know, 10 different, uh, with 10 different companies in order to, uh, you know, get the service that they needed across their portfolio of financed aircraft. And so I think we bring a, a different value proposition uh, to play here. We've got 70 technical advisors strategically located all over the globe uh, that can, you know, be on site within a very short period of time deliver the service in the same consistent, high-quality manner. And, uh, you know, to the banks, I think it's a great opportunity. You work with one provider, covers the entire globe, and you get the same consistent, high level of service. And so we're going to continue to really focus on that market, and uh, we see a lot of, lot of upside there. That's got to be uh, that's got to be pretty exciting. So you came out of you personally now. You're you came out of the tech industry. Um, I did. You know, I take it you kind of you you probably have a, a pretty strong network back into there, and you're you're seeing what those guys are. You know what how that industry is transforming stuff. Is is that playing a big uh, is is that experience playing a big role in how you run the company today? A hundred percent. You know, I really, uh, I kind of, I grew up in the technology, I grew up in the technology sector. Uh, I ran a cybersecurity company, uh, for a number of years and, uh, that really prepared me, I think, for the move, uh, into aviation. Uh, so, you know, I look at that, ex- I look back at that experience and I really draw on it, every, you know, every day. And a couple of the key things that I always go back to is just the speed at which that industry, industry changes. You know, I used to wake up in the middle of the night, you know, just wondering if I was going to read about something that had made our technology completely obsolete just because at the speed at which technology uh, is changing today. So, you know, I would run our business uh, with, I would say, a controlled sense of paranoia and fear. You know, I was right. driven that we were constantly innovating, constantly adding features, looking to stay ahead of our competition, which was moving at, a incre- at an incredible pace. So I tried to bring that same sense of 
urgency, that same sense of need to innovate uh, to this business. And I think a lot of that has driven some of the changes we've, you know, we've, we've had within JSSI over the last 10 years. And, you know, going from a company that provided uh, really one line of business, uh, you know, hourly cost maintenance programs to the industry to you look at the company today and we've got you know such a diverse set of uh, lines of revenue it's you know pretty remarkable I like to think of it as you know changing the electrical wiring in the house without turning off the lights and yeah, uh, yeah it, it, to me it's I think I really attribute a lot of that change to my experience in the cybersecurity industry have you i mean has you know, has the speed at which you guys have reacted to things or if you know pro you know proactively taken on things have you have you surprised some people out there i mean as you know you know i i look at the commercial side of the house and you know i look at like boeing you know boeing is trying to you know grow their aftermarket services business pretty big and they're you know but everybody looks at them and says hey they're kind of a big lumbering you know big lumbering company that's been there for a long time lockheed martin same thing how quickly can they react? Um, has, has the speed at which you guys have attacked the market a little bit taken some folks by surprise? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Uh, we try, you know, look, we, uh, we really try to move, we try to move quickly, you know, but certainly intelligently. We, we're very measured in the decisions that we make. We're very measured when we decide to go after a new market. But once we make the decision to go, we, you know, we go like a racehorse with blinders and we try to, uh, take as much market share as we possibly can. And when we focus on a business or a new line of business, there's always one thought in mind, right? Is it accretive to our core business? Business, the business that got us here, and that's hourly cost maintenance or power by the hour. And so every line of business that we've gone into has been accretive to our core. So as we build these new businesses and these new lines of revenue and these new opportunities, it's still feeding the core, it's still feeding our core business. And you know, I think of it as cross-pollination, right? And so each business feeds one another. And yep. uh, I do think we've taken some people, you know, by surprise, but uh uh, to us, you know, we've never really sat, we're never really satisfied or never allow ourselves to be satisfied or to take a minute to enjoy it. We just try to keep pushing. Yeah, no, I was reading, a, reading an article in CNBC the other day, yesterday, I think, and, you know, it was talking about how, you know, Toys R Us kind of sat on its laurels. And, uh, oh. you know, 10 years later, you see them like, I don't think you, today's, I don't think today you can sit on your laurels for much more than a day and, you know, not get burned by it. Um, everything's yeah, moving. Right. Everything's you, see so ma- you see so many examples of that today, right? There was a time not too long ago where, you know, every shopping mall had a blockbuster in it, right? And, uh, uh, you know, look where block, you know, how often, how many blockbusters do you see today? Yeah, block, blockbuster gone, you know, Sears gone, you know, everybody, I was reading today, you know, Neiman Marcus, yeah, everybody, somebody was saying Neiman Marcus, maybe one of the ones that, you won't see in a couple of years. I'm like, holy cow, you know, that, uh, it, it's a whole day. It's it's a whole new day for our kids growing up. You know, they're they're it's 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 all changing so fast. It's true. And, the world is the world is changing, and uh, the way you know the way commerce and business is conducted is changing at such a rapid pace that you really have to work to you really have to work to change to change with it, and uh, you have to work to stay in front of it and deliver what the market wants. So. Are we as an industry doing a, are we as an industry doing a good job with that? I mean, you know, you, you know, the, the industry as a whole, you know, we talk about, everybody talks about, you know, shortage of pilots coming down the pike and, yeah. you know, mechanics are now, you know, getting thin. Are we, you know, as an industry, what do we need to do to, to get back in front of it? 
Well, you know, look, I think that, you know, you could certainly make an argument that you need more A&P, like A&P mechanics, you need more uh, pilots. Uh, and so, I, you know, look, I see operators taking steps and measures uh, to uh, make more, you know, to make it more attractive to go into those fields. But when I step back and I look at some of the things that you're seeing in the industry today, I really do think business aviation is really evolving, you know, with the times. I mean, look at a company like JetSmarter, okay, or other operators who are trying to figure out a way to bring business aviation to the masses, right? You know, if you're, if the economics don't necessarily work you know, for someone when they have to, you know, charter uh, a plane and spend $6,000, $7,000 an hour. However, when you can think about innovative ways to get that first class passenger onto an aircraft who can spend, you know, somewhere between 800 and 1200 for a seat on a business jet, mm-hmm. uh, and then they have that business jet experience where they don't have to deal with the, you know, the, the torture of standing on a TSA line uh, in, uh, you know, in the airport, and uh, they save uh, an hour each side of the trip, and they could hit two cities or three cities in a single day to get what they need to done. You know, all of a sudden, you've got this entirely new market that's going to be drawn to the business aviation community. And, you know, I believe high tide lifts all boats. If we can successfully execute and uh, you know, draw those, you know, draw that new customer in. It's gonna, it's gonna be great for the entire, the entire industry. And so yeah. I give a lot of credit to some of the early movers in that space. And I think they are, you know, we're working and looking at ways to innovate. Yeah, no, I was talking, you know, Rob Wiesenthal up at uh, Blade. Yeah. In New York City, you know, they're crowdsourcing helicopters and obviously they've got a market. You know, hey, uh, yeah, ranging from, you know, we'll just take a group of people, a couple hundred bucks and everybody gets on the helicopter and, you know, goes out to Teterboro or to the, you know, one of the, the, the air, the major airports and, and, and makes it easier or, you know, the Hamptons or whatever. So, you know, that whole market is, it's something, you know, a couple of years ago didn't exist and, and, you know, you know technology, new thoughts, everything's doing it. But so you're, you know, look, you're, you know, as a CEO goes, you've got, so you guys just kind of doing the math. You're somewhere, you know, 2,000, two, you're 200, you know, 2,000 airplanes on your subscription. You're somewhere, you know, half a billion dollars or more in revenue. Um, you're a relatively young CEO and you've been in that chair for you know, a couple of years. What, you know, what were the big, you know, what have you learned and kind of as you, as you come along and what were the biggest challenges you, you took on when you, when you started? Sure. So, well, I, I guess I am relatively young. I turned 40 last year, but uh, I turned 40 last year, which was, uh, you know, an exciting birthday, I guess. Uh, but in terms of being a CEO, CEO, I've really been a CEO for the last 14 years, uh, you know, since I'm 26. And it's funny, you know, you learn the same lessons over and over again, right? Uh, you know, every business, regardless of the business, faces a lot of the same, uh, a lot of the same challenges. And, you know, look, I think it always comes down to the people, right? It's, and you know, Craig, in your own business, right? This is what you really understand. It's critical to find just the most talented people, most hardworking people, uh, that you can, and then reward them for their efforts. Go yep. find people that can execute and, you know, let them run. That's been, you know, any success I've had, I really share it with my employees uh, because
because uh, uh, they're the ones that go out and they've executed day in and day out. And so, you know, when I first came over here, I, I, I brought two people with me from the cybersecurity world who had no experience with aviation. Uh, they're both on my executive team today. have been at JSSI for more than five years. And, uh, you know, today they're certainly fluent in the aviation language, but, you know, more so than that, they've gone out and they've really helped transform this business, helped me transform this business with a whole host of other people that are here. So, uh, again, I, you know, I find it comes down to the people. And uh, as a CEO, I've just learned that you need to address issues uh, head on, right? Never yeah. let them fester. To me, that's, yeah. that's the difference. That's the one thing. I, you know, I talk to you know, the one thing that you know, I talk to people is you, you hear a lot about in this industry. You hear about well, he's not an airplane guy, or she's not an airplane, she's not an airplane girl. And I'm sort of you know, I sort of run under maybe a little bit of a a different mental process. And I think if you find the right person who's got the aptitude and the smarts, you know, it's harder to teach aptitude and smarts than it is to teach an industry. You know, go find go find the A player who can adapt who's smart and adaptable and teach him the industry versus finding the industry person and trying to get, trying to make them smart. I mean, I, I completely agree. And when you sort of, and when you take an A player from outside the industry, bring them in, they're going to bring in a perspective, uh, that people who are, you know, so close to it, you know, may not have. And so bringing that outside perspective in is always healthy and marrying those people up with those that have that strong institutional knowledge that, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll never learn when you've been doing something for 30 years. There's a huge amount, a wealth of value there that you just can't, that you may not be able to teach, but you marry those two together, you know, strong institutional knowledge with someone coming in from the outside that has aptitude and ability to execute and, you know, something special happens and uh, it's been fun to watch and to be a, to play a part in it. Yeah, no doubt. What do you, when you're interviewing, when you're interviewing somebody for uh, for an executive role that you don't know, right? You know, see, you know, you're looking for somebody for either a leadership team or one tier down, and you know, what kind of, what do you what are you looking for as far as their character? Or, you know, when you're you know, you, you, what do you want them to tell you to that gives you confidence they're the right person? And, and what do you shy away from? You know, I'm I'm really looking for someone that has. Uh, the ability to to solve prob to solve problems, not to bring you problems. That's you know that's easy, right? Somebody that has the ability to solve problems. You know, just last week we you know hired a, a hired a, a really strong strong guy to run our advisory services business, which we talked about a little bit earlier. A guy named Jason Schwab. You know, comes out of uh, graduated from West Point. Graduated from West Point. Uh, you know, served two tours in Afghanistan as a, as a helicopter pilot, went on to get his MBA at Booth and come, joins us out of Goldman Sachs. And, you know, going through the process with Jason, you know, I really looked for, does this guy have the ability to solve problems? And, uh, you know, very quickly it became clear that he did. And that, you know, is a skill set that he brought. And that's something I look for in all of our, you know, executives and that we look for in every employee that we bring, you know, bring on. And uh, uh, to me, that's the that's sort of the, the, the trait that's most important, of course, along with someone that shares, you know, shares our value system. Isn't that the case? You know, it's like, hey, look, uh, you know, okay, you bring me your problems. Bring me the problem, but bring, bring me two or three solutions that you think are good paths. Let's talk about the solutions. Let's 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 talk about the problem and let's discuss the three solutions you have. And between one of those, we'll figure out something. 
exactly. you get so tired. Of, you get so tired of people just you know it's like, hey, look, I got a problem. It's and and then all of a sudden, you know, their problem becomes a CEO's problem, and you've only got so many hours of the day. Plus, you have a family and everything else to worry about. So, look, I think uh, we in our personal lives and our professional lives, you know, you you come and you come. You interface with people that, you know, really kind of thrive on that, you know, almost the negativity, you know, that almost embrace problems because it's something else to, you know, sort of complain about. Mm. And, uh, you know, we've tried to find people here that, you know, look at a problem, uh, you know, as an opportunity. And it sounds a little cliche, but, uh, you know, I think the key to success is being able, you know, there's going to be problems in every business, right? Is to identify those problems create a create a solution that works makes sense and you know you find sometimes you have a customer issue that you turn into a huge positive by putting forth a solution that makes sense for the customer makes sense for your business and everybody wins so oh yeah um, yeah I mean, the truth, you know, you, you know, half the time you, you hear it all the time in businesses and you know, businesses and sales and whatever. You know, you've got a customer that's in a really, really bad spot, and you got to deliver bad news to them. And as you know, bad news doesn't get better with age. So you, you, somebody finally gets the courage to do it, but you come to them with you know a couple of ideas, and next thing you know, you've 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 not only you, you've fixed this problem, but you've you know, you you've you've, you've you created such a good solution, you get some more money out of them. You've got a lifetime. You got a customer for life. I mean, yeah. who doesn't know those problems? And and that's it. But so you know. But here you are. You're at the you're at the top. And sometimes as CEO, it gets lonely. Who do you talk to when yeah when you uh, when you start to get overwhelmed? Who's your uh, <laughs> you have a mentor that you, you know, go to? I, you, are you, do you have somebody on your yeah, do you have somebody in your executive team that you can close the boardroom you know, door with and just say, hey, look, uh, you know, this is a bad day. What, where do you go? I got to tell you, I, I've been so blessed uh, throughout my career to have had just uh, so many mentors, so many mentors. And, you know, I, I look, I just look at my board of directors, okay? You know, uh, the chairman of our boards, my father, who's been a mentor for me, you know, my entire life. I mean, he, you know, he was taking me on uh, business trips since I'm five years old. And uh, he's been just a great, he's a great sounding board along with our vice. We have two vice chairmen of our board, Brian Moss, who's, you know, former president of Gulfstream, who I really, you know, credit for taking the time to help educate me on this market, you know, six years ago when I stepped in uh, to the management team and, uh, you know, needed a lot of, uh, needed a lot of handholding and yep. a lot of uh, 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 coaching and training and, you know, certainly Brian and Lucina, one of the founders who's still with us on our board and Joe. Phenomenal Detroit. guy. Yeah, you know, we've got a great, uh, you know, I, I turn to my board of directors who I, I really view as much more than a board of directors. I view them as a sounding board. Uh, so, you know, they certainly uh, helped fill that role. But I got to tell you, my entire team here, the, you know, the leadership team at JSSI, you know, are people that, you know, I've now worked with in some cases for 15 years and, uh, you know, other cases since I got here, five, six years. And uh, they're a great sounding board uh, as well. And so, uh, you know, I've just been blessed to be surrounded by a, a great group of people who I can lean on. It's a good, you know, the the you know Brian. Look, uh, you know, I'm a uh, I'm a huge fan of Gulfstream, and not just as a product. I mean, you know, look, they're all good products. Bombardier makes a great product, but I'll tell you, the one thing about Gulfstream is that they've consistently delivered on time, every time. You know what they tell their customer, and a lot of that goes back to the culture that Brian Moss and Bill Boister. And the management team created their 20 year. They created this this culture of excellence. Uh, 
And it was hard for a lot of people to, to jump on it, but it was this culture of excellence that, you know, we don't have a choice. We got to deliver what we promise and we, you know, it's what we're going to do. And to have a guy like Brian on your board, I got to think is a huge asset in this business. Tremendous, uh, you know, tremendous asset, you know, and I've, uh, you know, you and I have talked uh, offline about this as well as, you know, couldn't ask for a better, you know, better mentor. And uh, same for Lucino, who's been in the industry for 30 years uh, plus, uh, also has been a great, you know, mentor to me. And again, you said it well, Brian created a culture of excellence, customer service, and that's the same thing where we've, uh, you know, really tried to replicate here. And again, I look at our competitors, right? I mentioned some of them earlier. When you think about it, you know, we're competing with some of the biggest brands and most successful companies in the world, the Honeywells and GEs and Rolls Royces and Pratt Whitney's. Not that all these businesses haven't had their own challenges, uh, especially of late, but, you know, we're competing with these, you know, really iconic brands. And so uh, a company like JSSI to a new operator, a new jet owner who may never have heard of us, Okay, but they've certainly heard of Rolls Royce. We can't just be, you know, good, right? In order to win a deal, uh, and in order to keep a customer. Okay, right. we have to go about and we have to be great, uh, day in and day out. And, uh, that's the standard we try to hold ourselves to. And anything less than that, we're disappointed and we're going to work to, uh, you know, work to fix it. So, uh, you know, you're never going to get it perfect. <laughs> There's always going to be opportunities to improve service, drive efficiencies, but you got to work towards perfection every day. And we've, we've tried to do that. Yeah, no, it's just doing your best, you know, coming to work and doing your best, your best job every day. It's the industry now, you, 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 you mentioned the Rolls and the Honeywells and the, the Pratts and stuff like that. Are they, you know, they, you know, they, are you guys all frenemies now? Is it kind of, we're working together, we're, we're competing with each other, we're working, you know, we're, we're, we're competing with each other, we're, we're working together on some stuff. How, how are those, all, all those relationships? They, you know, they good? You know, I think they're, they, they are good. You know, there's certain components, you know, if you look at our business, you know, we're working in all of their, their maintenance facilities. We're driving a significant amount of work through their facilities. So, you know, in some ways, you know, we're a, you know, we're a good, you know, we're a good customer. Uh, in other ways, on the program side, we compete. You know, uh, you know, we go out and we work with their parts organization to buy parts. So yeah, I, I mean, to your point, I would say frenemies is a good term. I mean, we, we're, we work together, uh, we work together in more ways than we compete. So I'm always, I'm always optimistic that, you know, the relationships, uh, where they are somewhat strained will improve and where yeah. they're good, we're going to focus on making them even better. No, I got you. So you guys will, you know, JSSI is really a litmus test for the industry. Everybody, you know, the banks are coming to you and they're, they're looking at you saying, Hey, what's, what's going on? The, you know, the, the owners are, the brokers are, what do you, you know, what, you're the litmus test for business aviation. What's the future looking like? Yeah, you know, look, I am really optimistic about the future. So you're right. We work with a huge cross-section of players in the industry, right? Operators, MROs, lenders, insurance companies, uh, brokers. So, you know, we're working with a huge cross-section of those guys. But I just look at, I look at flight hours, right, as the ultimate barometer 
for the health of the industry. And as a company, you know, that charges by the flight hour, you know, we're uh, very much in tuned to, uh, you know, to, to trends and how, you know, operators are using their aircraft and how they're flying. And look, last year was just a phenomenal year in terms of flight hours. We saw the highest uh, number of hours on a per aircraft basis uh, than we've seen in the last 10 years since 2008, uh, you know, with the big economic downturn. And this year, you know, through two weeks into the first quarter, uh, two weeks left in the first quarter, uh, hours are up by, you know, more than 5%. So uh, I think that the market is, I'm very encouraged by the signs that we're seeing in the marketplace. We're seeing aircraft values. I think, you know, th- those have sort of bottomed out and now are on the on the uptick. Uh, and we're seeing them starting to improve. A lot of old inventory has gotten sort of moved out. And so, I, look, I think it's going to be a very good, a very good year. But long term, I'm I'm really optimistic. All right, the the eight ball says, you know, we're going to shake the eight ball. The eight ball says, is it going to be more? You know, what's going to drive the industry more? Is it the ninety one k, the fractionals, the one thirty fives? Do you think more people are going to start buying? You know, how's how's owner? We're the gig economy now. Right. Are more people going to start buying their own airplanes, or are they pretty happy with you know the one thirty fives and the and the fractionals? Or do you do you you know do you how much of your business is international along the along the same lines? Let's throw that in there too. Does it grow internationally, and do people buy their planes or stay with one thirty five and ninety one k? Look, I, I think you're, you know, again, this may seem like a little bit of a cop out, but I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see growth in both markets. I think there's going to be a, there's going to, there's, we're going to see increased demand for people buying their, their own aircraft. But at the same time, you know, I think the market's just getting bigger. So you're going to look at the 135s getting more creative and figuring out new ways to reach the masses. Right, and to offer business aviation at a at a price point at a at a price point that allows entry to much a, to a much bigger population. So I think you're going to see both. Uh, I really do, and you're going to see demand coming from places that we'd never seen it before. Right? I mean, we've been talk you know talking about growth from China and Asia and the Middle East forever, but it, you know it's there, right? Yeah. And you're starting to see you know the market change, airports being you know airports being built and developed that are that allow for uh, better access for business aviation all over the world. And so uh, I think you're going to see growth being driven off of a bigger market because you're going to be, it's going to be made more affordable. And I think we're going to see growth coming from just places in the world that they never had before. So uh, on both fronts, I think uh, it looks, you know, very positive. I don't think it's going to happen once and I don't uh, all at once. And I don't think it's going to happen overnight, but, you know, long-term over the next five, 10 years, uh, I think we're going to see steady growth and the market really rebound. Yeah. No, I, I, do you, do you, now, do you see, do you, you know, going back to, you know, kind of your business model and how you guys are, are doing, do you see yourselves vertically integrating a little more and, and, you know, say what you want about that. I don't want to, I don't want to take away any of your secrets if there are any, but you know, do you see guys, do you have, is, are you going to vertically integrate a little bit or do you, do you see yourself, you know, kind of stay in the path and figure it out, you know, more creative ways to, to drive JSSI's business? 
Right. So, uh, when, you know, when I think about vertical integration, there's one area that I know we'll stay away from, and I don't think we want to get into the MR. We do not want to get into the MRO space where we would have our own facilities and turning our own wrenches, uh, you know, so to speak. Uh, we we view our suppliers uh, as partners, and so I don't see us ever looking to compete uh, in the MRO space. We're going to continue to sort of aggregate and send work to the to the most capable. Uh, to the most capable uh, facilities, but in terms of attacking new verticals in the aviation space, that is an area you're going to see us really attack. Like, you know, we talked a little bit about some of the services uh, that we're providing now to the lending and banking community, the insurance community and others, you're going to see more to come there. We're going to start getting very, we're uh, going to get very aggressive in, you know, going after uh, new verticals, uh, comp- you know, looking at ad- leveraging our data to deliver a new set of value uh, mm-hmm. to the industry. You know, you may see a couple of announcements on strategic acquisition from JSSI within the coming weeks and months. So very excited about uh, what the future holds. That's awesome. What's the big? Uh, what's the hope? I mean, where do you where do you guys want to be? It's your your privately held company now. Um, you, you 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 see it going public. You just see you continuing to grow until you know you, you can't grow anymore, and hopefully that never happens. What's uh, what's the goal of you and the board? And you know, where do you want to be in a couple of years? Our goal is growth, uh, and that's, you know, you ask any one of our employees, you know, sort of what I've been focusing on uh, is, you know, how can we continue to grow and scale the business and deliver a better customer experience and to continue to, you know, focus on those areas. So, uh, you know, if I look at where we're going to be, you know, five years from now, I'm hoping we're going to double the size of this business. We're going to, we've entered markets where, you know, our, our young new businesses will be, you know, mature, significant businesses uh, in that period of time. And so uh, as a board, as an ownership group, uh, that's what we're really, you know, that's what we're really focused on. I got you. Is there anything that keeps you up? You know, what keeps you up at night? You know, the old, uh, you know, the old question, what keeps you up at night? And, you know, you know what makes you fearful? Well, I, you know, I said this earlier. I kind of operate in a perpetual sense of, you know, with a perpetual sense of fear and paranoia, and so there's a lot that keeps me up at night. Uh, one of the things that does is I never ever allow myself to underestimate our competitors, and uh, you know, I, I, I've seen them uh, become more aggressive uh, in recent years, uh, increase their coverages, uh, offer new you know, products to the marketplace. And so that uh, I'm, you know, always thinking about what can, what's next, what's the next product, how can we innovate, how can we stay ahead? And so that, you know, that, that keeps me up at night, but, um, you know, I think that's healthy. You want to, I think you want someone, you know, in, in, in my job that, 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 you know, isn't always sleeping so well because uh, there is a demand to stay in front. So last question, and we'll let you go, but uh, we're coming up on the 45-minute mark. So if, if, if a guy, you know, rapidly changing business, looking for opportunities, if an executive inside JSSI comes to you and says, Neil, I think we should go down this path or we should at least explore it, how do you, how do you answer that question? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you kick it around or do you make them come back to you with some justification? How does, uh, how does innovation occur inside your company? 
Well, one is we, you know, we have we have strategy sessions uh, pretty regularly, and we're always looking at new, you know, looking at new opportunities. We're always talking, but they're not easy, right? You bring something to the table. You, uh, we're looking for uh, a substantive handle and grasp on the opportunity. And if you can justify it, and if we do our internal analysis and it makes sense, okay, we're going to invest in it and we're going to go after it. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of the innovation that's come here is being driven by, you know, a whole host of our employees across every facet of our business. And that's the type of environment that we want to create. We want people to be entrepreneurial. We want them to think outside of the box. And, you know, when people do that uh, and they see their ideas turn into uh, a new line of business that's yep. adding value, creating value, creating jobs. I mean, there's nothing more rewarding. So uh, that's the culture we're trying to, uh, uh, we're trying to build here and to focus on. And uh, so far, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, we've been doing a decent job at it. Like I said, I, I remember when, when Rick and Ron started the company back in the, the mid-90s, and it's early, in the early 90s, and it's been, it's been a whole lot of fun watching you, uh, watching you guys grow since uh since then so hey thanks for uh thanks for being on you know coming on today i know it's uh 45 minutes out of a, a very busy day for you and i appreciate it so well thanks how Greg, can uh, if someone wanted to get a hold of what is it jetsupport.com www.jetsupport.com that's the one that the website so that's perfect website and uh, you know, call me directly if you want to get a hold of me. Uh, uh, if you're looking for a, for a program, awesome. Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on, Neil. We greatly appreciate it. Thanks, Craig. 